Welcome, fellow humans, to the Three Things Podcast, Episode 2. Really glad you're back. Um, man, I just realized I do a lot of speaking. I do a lot of uh, public speaking, a lot of teaching. Um, and the more I do it, I always think, oh, I'm going to get to the point where I don't get nervous at some point. You know, I look at you know, some of my colleagues or some of the people that I look up to in this field, and I think, oh, they must just get up and go and have no nerves and have no anxiety. But the older I get, the more it's like, I think it, sometimes it even gets worse. Um, and I think I've always assumed that it's because I can see people, you know, I can, I can get up and everybody's pointed at me. And that's a really weird experience. If you don't, if you don't speak um, very often to big groups of people, you may not experience this, but you, you, you get this weird feeling when you stand up and everyone in the room is pointed, literally pointed at you. Their seats have been set up to point at you and you have nowhere to go. And I always have this feeling of like something is going to come out that shouldn't or nothing will come out. That might be worse that like all the things I've prepared will just get lost and I, I will open my mouth and nothing will come out. Um, or my flies open. I mean, I got all these fears that come at that moment. Um, and it doesn't seem to matter how long I do it. But I think I've always assumed that it, it's because of looking at the faces of people. But man, this this is episode two of the Three Things podcast. So I'm just learning. I appreciate you kind of uh, being patient with me as I try to figure this thing out. Because right now I'm looking at a wall in my basement by myself in a room. Nobody pointed at me. Um, if my fly was down, you wouldn't know. Um, it's not though. And, uh, but what I'm realizing is I'm just as nervous. Like I, my nerves are just like there's a room full of a thousand people and you're pointed at me. Um, so I just, it just inhabited me that I think the reason I'm nervous doesn't have anything to do with you looking at me. I think it is more about the weight of this moment that you would give me part of your day, part of your life. Um, so I'm not taking that for granted. And I just wanted to start with it. Actually, I didn't plan to start with it. I just wanted to start with it, that I am honored that you would give me this moment of your life. And I hope you get something from it like I have. I want to talk to you today about subwoofers, frogs, and hand hygiene. How about that for a setup? Let's jump in. Have you ever had something come in your life, um, something coming up, like on your calendar, that sort of just creates this resonance in your life, <laughs> like this hum? I'm going to call it the hum of your life. In fact, on episode two today, we're going we're gonna to talk about three things about the hum in your life. Um, it's a strange thing to say, I know, but you'll, you'll get it, I hope, by the end. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments on the calendar where it just sort of sort of haunts you, maybe for good or for bad, maybe a wedding coming up, maybe public speaking, um, maybe a something like a high school reunion that you've not been looking forward to, or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's a vacation coming up. It's something that you've been meaning to do for a long time with your family and you can't wait and you've been planning it and you're excited and it sort of creates this undergirding, you know, this hum in your life, this, um, no matter what you're doing, no matter how mundane the task or how exciting the task, there is always this hint 
that there's something coming. Um, man, if you deal with anxiety like I do, you know exactly what I mean by this hum. Whether it's good or it's bad, it, it's something that starts to color the way you think. It's something that starts to um, affect your relationships, affect your moments. I think the worst part of anxiety for me um, is obviously the moment of fear and the moment of sort of out of control. That's bad. But I think the worst part in retrospect, when I have the worst anxiety, I realize that I've missed out. That in the moment while my family was enjoying memories, I couldn't. In, the, in some of the best moments of my life, I have a foggy memory because of what anxiety has done to me. And, and, and if you've dealt with anxiety in your life, um, you know the feeling that you, you just, this is just who you are. This is just who I am. This is how I was born or this is hereditary or whatever it is. And, and I just want to encourage you just that it is worth the fight. It is worth the fight to figure this thing out. And so part of what you're going to hear from me in the Three Things podcast is the perspective of someone who is dealing with anxiety. Um, and the next step of that is often depression. And usually if it gets bad enough, depression follows anxiety. And so I deal with this on a regular basis. And there's some things that I have found that that give me ammunition against this thing. Um, and one of those things is, is being around people um, who seem to have a, a good perspective on life. My daughter is one of those, man, she's 12 years old, just got out of school. Um, school was out Friday and man, she, um, she's just happy. I mean, she's just happy and it doesn't matter what's coming up. In fact, with London, it's like the hum in her life, the constant hum in her life is this sense of optimism, just sense of things are going to be amazing. Um, even if there's something nervous, it, she sees the optimistic side of it. And man, I pray that keeps going in her. She's just 12 and we're sitting in the back seat, and she's done with school and she's got parties coming up. She's got a summer where my mom and dad take them all over the place in the summer. And, um, it's just, it's amazing, uh, next, you know, 104 days for her. Um, and she just looks at Risha and I, she's in the back seat, and she says, mom, dad, I am happy in the deepest part of my soul, which is, which is also she's 12 and she's starting to go through those changes, if you know what I mean. Um, so there's some emotion there. There's no question, but man, you just feel it in her. It's good for me. It's good for my anxiety. She has a hum in her life that seems to color everything for her. You know what I mean by hum? It's that sense that if you were pulled up next to a, a, a car um, at a stoplight and you just kind of tilt your head a little bit because you can, it's not that you can hear the bass in the car, but you can feel it, you know? It's like if, if someone said, do you hear that? You would kind of say, no, I feel it. Um, and that's kind of what bass does to our lives, that, that, that low frequency um, kind of sh shakes our bones a little bit in it, and we feel it. Our 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 ear picks it up as as a feeling, le less than just an audible noise. Um, and I think, as I start this podcast today, I I think that there is this hum in our lives, and and, and you can either allow that hum to just sort of 
take you over. Um, you can allow your calendar to create that hum. You can allow nerve-wracking events or bosses with one-track minds um, or relationships to create this hum in your life. Or you can take charge of the hum. You can take charge of what you hear, what you listen to, and what feeling you have on a regular basis at the deepest part of your soul. My daughter would say, I am happy at the deepest part of my soul. And I can feel it. When she said that, I felt the hum in her life. In 1998, New York Times wrote this article entitled, The Never-Ending Hum of the Universe. <laughs> that is a cool article. So really, you should just look it up. You can Google it. 1998 New York Times article, The Never-Ending Hum of the Universe. In fact, if you just Google The Never-Ending never Hum of the Universe, you will find out that science has, has agreed to this. People all over the world have felt it, that there is a resonance coming from planet Earth. A, a, a literal audible resonance coming from earth. Now there's all kinds of opinions on what this is. Some people think that it's a sort of the result of uh, airplanes and factories and, you know, that truck that goes by um, without the muffler uh, that people feel like that, that, that the planet has this, this note that it's playing that is sort of the byproduct of all of that. It's really interesting. In fact, there are parts of the, uh, of the world and parts of earth where it seems to be more audible and more affecting the people around them than any place else. Kokomo, Indiana um, is one of those places. And Kokomo, there were residents that actually started to complain about, about this hum. And they, they, they complained about it because it was causing nausea and dizziness. And I mean, at times in Kokomo, Indiana, people have complained at the same time in different parts of the city that they can hear the same note. The same hum that's affecting their lives. I don't want to get too scientific today, and I never want to over-spiritualize things. But, you know, Rob Bell says everything is spiritual. Um, and, man, that's coloring the way I see the world. I, I believe that. I believe that the things that are happening to you, whether they're physical, emotional, that they have this, this undergirding of the spiritual. That there is something, there is a plan, and there is someone in charge. And so... I want to talk to you today um, about that hum in your life. And I know I just gave you an example of a physical hum. I don't know that what people are feeling is necessarily the same hum I'm talking about. But I do believe that, that there is this undergirding note, this bass note, this this, uh, you know, Bell calls it a bass note. There's treble, which is sort of that high-pitched, kind of a fast-moving thing. And then there's this low, slow pitch in our life. And if you're not careful, it can be controlled by a lot of different things that it seem to be out of your control at the time. So I just want to tell you three things. I just want to talk about three things today about the hum in my life. And these aren't the most important three things. These aren't uh, the best three things. I don't know. I, this whole three things podcast came out of me trying to wrangle my thoughts, trying to figure out what, what do I feel about this? What is the hum in my life? And this is something I've been right about. Um, I use Evernote software 
um, that allows me to kind of access notes from any place, um, from my phone or from my computer or whatever. And I love Evernote. Um, I promise they're not sponsoring this podcast. Um, but I, I really love this. And I can't tell you, I can, I can search for all my notes. can't tell you how often the word hum has been written in one of my journal entries or one of my posts. Um, and because I do feel like there is a sense in my life where, where I, my attitude, my demeanor is controlled by this thing, by this, uh, by this resonance in my life. And so I'm just going to give you three things that has affected me. I'm thinking it might you too. Um, the first one is that there, there is always something humming in my life. Always. Um, there's always something coming. There's always some feeling, you know, that feeling right around Thanksgiving. Um, I don't know if you feel this way, but in in Thanksgiving for me, um, things at at work start to slow down a little bit. Um, people know that you're going to be out. Um, there are actual calendar dates where the entire company has decided you get paid for this and you don't have to come in. It's better than a day off because a day off for me means I'm not working, but everybody else is. And it made a few deal with anxiety. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That means that no matter how much relax, how much relaxation I have, all the things that I'm supposed to be doing are building up and are going to meet me when I get home or when I get back to work. But the thing about vacation around the holidays is that everybody's taking them, which means we're all kind of pausing all of the to-do lists and all the things. That is a hum in my life around Thanksgiving. So we have Thanksgiving, and then we know Christmas is coming up, and there's kind of a push between. But there is something that happens when I start thinking about weeks or a week of time where no one is adding to the to-do lists, and we're all stopping for a moment. But honestly, that's about the only time I can count on that kind of a hum. The rest of the time, it feels as though it's out of control. It feels as though... I may be on the lawnmower when the hum gets louder. And I don't mean the, lawn, the, the mower's hum. I mean that foreboding sense that something is, is looming and it might go wrong. Whether it's a bill I forgot to pay, whether it's a uh, speaking event that I'm not prepared for, whatever it is, there's always seems to be something humming. You ever been in a, in a conversation with somebody where, you're talking and it just seems hard. Like you can almost get a headache and you have this long conversation. And then all of a sudden somebody reaches up and they turn off the fan over the oven or they turn off the, they turn down the TV and you didn't even realize how loud it was. You didn't even really hear the, the fan it, in that moment. You didn't even audibly recognize that there was something going on in the room that was affecting your your speech and affecting your life and causing this sense of just exhaustion in you until they turned it off. (laughs) And once you turn it off, you get this moment of like, how did I miss that? How did I miss that that thing at that pitch and that volume was happening? I had just slowly kind of let it happen. It reminds me of this illustration that my dad used to give me all the time. It's the frog in the kettle illustration. And honestly, I have no idea whether this is scientific and whether it's real. Um, But the idea is this, that you would take a frog, and it's also very morbid now that I think about it. So take this out of the world of the physical and just put it into the world of preacher illustration for a second, okay? Um, But you'd take a frog, and if you took a frog and you boiled a pot of water on the stove, and then you just took a frog and you threw it in the pot of water, the frog is going to feel the heat from that boiling pot of water, and it's going to jump right out. 
because it would it would feel it and it would immediately jump out of the pot. But if you take a pot of water that's cold and you put the frog in it, and then you slowly bring the pot to a boil, the frog will boil alive. Man, that's morbid. Why did I use that? That's ridiculous. It's an awful gross thing. But here's the thing about it. I don't know even know if it's true. If please don't try it. I hope nobody knows it's true. But here's the thing. It feels true in our life, right? It feels as though if you took yourself and and you decided, hey, I am not going to be the kind of person that just talks awful about people. I am not going to be the kind of person who just gossips all the time and says awful things. I'm not going to be negative. I'm not going to be pessimistic. I do not want to be that kind of person. And you, you take that kind of person and you drop them in an office environment where everyone around them is is angry and there is this hum of anger and of of gossip and of talking bad about each other in this sort of dog eat dog world you would immediately jump out of the pot right you would feel that heat and you would go oh i gotta get out of here this is not my people but if you get into that environment and you sort of boil with them if you get to that and you just one little juicy piece of gossip becomes another and then it becomes a habit and you slowly become something that you would have never chosen to be for my purposes there becomes a hum in the room that maybe you didn't even notice really it's the fan on during the conversation it's the tv up just a little too loud it's the noise in the room that maybe you have become accustomed to slowly but that is affecting the way you think it's affecting the way you choose to live and in the long run It's affecting your quality of life. What I know is that in my life, there is always something humming. It's almost like somebody else has the on and off switch. Like I have no control over it. Like my calendar owns me. The truth is, I found something, friends. (laughs) I found out that it's not true. That I have the ability to turn the fan off. In my life, I have the ability, I have the, no matter what you believe about God, I don't know, if, I don't know what you believe about God, and no matter what you believe, you're welcome here. And I hope you don't feel judged, because I'm still trying to figure this out every day too, and I know most of my listeners are. But there is this sense that I, that, that, I have been built with control over this hum, or at least control over what I hear in this hum. But I have to choose it. So the first thing about this hum in my life is that there is always something humming. There's never a break from this. In fact, it's crazy. Once I get through the big event, once I get through the big wedding or the big thing or the looming situation, I immediately, what is this in me? Where, I mean, as soon as it's over and the anxiety from that thing ends, I am immediately, almost desperately, when I'm out of control, looking for the next thing. <laughs> looking for the next emergency. Looking for the next hum in my life. And it's, it's a habit that I've created. And I can learn to change it. So the first thing about the hum is that there's always something humming. The second thing for me is that if I'm not intentional about listening 
for the right kind of hum, I will drift into listening for something bad, for something selfish. I don't know what that is in me. I don't believe that we are inherently bad as humans. I don't believe that. I do believe that it is easy for me to drift into thinking about myself. It's easy for me to listen to a hum of anxiety. I'm not going to get into philosophical reasons for why I believe that it's easy for me, but I know that it is. And if I don't choose to listen for the hum that I want to guide my life, I will drift into something that will lead me to where I never wanted to go. And I often find myself in the frog in the kettle situation where I, I've, I have jumped in or I haven't jumped in, but I've slowly boiled. And then I, at some point somebody reminds me or I, I hear my daughter say something about being happy in the bottom of her soul. And I'm reminded that I'm in a pot of boiling water I didn't choose. And that that's what I need to be listening for. <laughs> the ancient God people, people who had, had decided that there was a different way to think about God. These are people who were part of a new tribe of humans. Um, you know, tribes have been all throughout our times. If you listen to Seth Godin, Seth Godin wrote a book called Tribes. Um, Seth is a marketing guy, branding guy. Um, even if you're not into marketing, you should read Tribes. Really, really cool book. It'll make you think differently about television commercials. Um, but the idea is that we have, from the beginning of time, people have created tribes and they fight each other or they take care of each other or they take care of each other inside this tribe or they protect each other inside this tribe and they protect each other against other tribes. You know, when God chose the Israelites, he said, you're going to be a different kind of tribe. You're going to be the kind of tribe that takes care of other tribes. Man, I, I, I quote Rob Bell a lot. He talks about this tribe about this kind of tribe that you and I are now a part of. If you're if you're if you want to be a part of what God is doing in this world, then you get to be a part of a tribe that isn't just about taking care of yourself. You get to take care of others. You get to be the kind of tribe that takes care of other tribes, that looks for orphans and widows in their distress. James says this. James says, if you want religion the way God thinks of religion as good or pure. It's not ceremony. It's, it's about taking care of orphans and widows in their distress. It's one of my favorite pieces of scripture. When I get anxious or when I, get, when I start hearing the hum in my life of what are you doing on this earth? Um, what, what are you doing with your time, your 40 hours a week at work and, or with your kids? Or, you know, are you just mowing the lawn every Saturday and then it grows again? And, you know, you get that feeling. I'm, rem I, 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 I'm reminded of James saying that our job, that, that that hum that we're all looking for is to take care of orphans and widows in their distress. It's that look for people that you can lift up in your life. And it has changed me um, as I've listen to that piece of scripture. You know, the, the thing about the hum is that if I'm not intentional about listening for the right thing, I will drift into listening for me. You know, the, the psalmist says, your word is a light into my path. It talks about this moment of, of life where you can be still 
and just know that God is God. Maybe if, if you're a church person, you've heard this before. Be still and know that I am God. This is a, a command. It's a, it's a you should do this kind of a moment. And, and the reason is, is not um, because God has this list of things he wants you to do or not do in your life. It's because there is a hum at the center of the universe that God started at the beginning of time. That if, if you can be still... And for for many of us, it, it looks different than it does for others. Some of you do that really well in a deer stand early in the morning. That is not me, <laughs> but it is some of you, and I get that. Some of you like to be on the lake um, right as the sun's coming up. Um, some of you like the comfortable, worn-out chair in the living room next to the fireplace. Some of you, it's the car ride on the way to work. Wherever it is, I believe each of us have been built with a place, with a, a, a moment, a time. Maybe it's a physical environment, whatever it is, where we are to be still and change the hum that we're listening to, to turn off the things in our life. The scriptures say that God speaks in a still, small voice. I, this is one of the things that gets me listening for a different hum when I remember this piece of scripture. In fact, if you struggle the way I do with with this noise in your life and stuff just going around everywhere, if you find a place to write, still, small, voice. Just those three words, still, small, voice. It'll remind you that the best thing you can do when when the hum of life starts to take control of you is to stop to find a place to listen to the still, small voice. And if you were God, you were the creator of the universe, you could do anything you wanted to do, and you loved human beings and you wanted them to, to get perspective on their life in the right way, wouldn't you yell? Wouldn't you be like, you know what? I'm just going to scream this at the top of my lungs so you have no choice but to listen to me. And this will lead you on. I... This is, this is how love works at its, at its core. God is such, so based on love and is so centered on the thought of love that he will not even impose his voice on us. That it is our choice who we listen to, which hum we choose. So he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak in a still, small voice. I don't hear anything audible from God and never have. I want to be clear about that. Some of you may have, and I'm not arguing with your experience. It's just not something I have. But I can tell you this. When I choose to be still, and when I choose to listen for a still, small voice, what it means is that I have to turn down all the rest of the hums. Imagine a volume button on your life and on, on the next thing on the calendar. Imagine a volume level, maybe even while we're talking, right here, right now, while you're listening to this. Imagine that, that hum in your life, the next thing you're nervous about, the anxiety that's coming. What if you, what if you just imagine turning the volume to the left, turning the knob counterclockwise? <laughs> what the writers of the Psalms say is that when you choose... When, when you physically choose, when you, when you take a moment to, to find your place 
the front of the boat, the top of the tree, the couch in the living room. When you choose that and you say, I'm going to turn down my hum because there is a more important hum. There is a better hum for me to hear. And it's lower. It's the bass note. It is the bottom of everything. I don't know what you believe about God, but this is what I believe God is at his core. He is the bottom of everything. He's the thing I've been looking for. When I dig and I keep digging in my life, I imagine sometimes I'm, I've got a shovel and I'm digging in the dirt. And what am I looking for? It's that thing at the bottom. God is that. And, and when we be, when we're still, when we find that place and we're still, and we make it a point in our life to take the volume and turn it down, it's not as though God's volume gets louder. It's not as though that hum gets louder. It's as though we have chosen chosen to bring that volume in our life down. And in that moment, love takes over. In that moment, our choice to turn down our volume of the things that we believe are the most important, we have chosen to say, God, would you hum in my life? Friends, if you'll try this, no matter what you believe about God, If you will try this today, find a place today. And I don't know what you got going on today. In fact, the busier your calendar is, the more more emphatically I beg you. Try this today. Just two-step process. Find your place. Find your place. You know, sometimes for me, um, anxiety gets the best of me in the middle of the day at 2 o'clock in the afternoon or at noon. um, And I will literally go get in my car and just sit in the parking lot at Kroger at the grocery store. I will just sit in the parking lot and because I'm by myself, I can see the world through the windows, but it's a low as though they can't see me, which is funny. They can, but I feel alone, but I still feel as though I'm with the world. I don't know what it is for you. Find a place. Be still. Just try this and then close your eyes and imagine the volume of that thing. Whatever that thing is right now that is loudest in your life, imagine you taking the volume knob and turning it counterclockwise down and just stop. This worked for Jesus. Jesus was first and foremost a man. I mean, he was God, and we know he was God, and, and he had that hum in his life. But at times, it's, it's hard for us to picture that, that he gave up that, that constant hum in his life to be like us and to have to fight the other hums. He gave up the, the lowest bass note to have to fight all the treble in his life. And he figured out how to do it. And we read it all over the place that he would go to a place. He would get away. For him, it was nature. He would get away from the crowds. He would move away and he would find a place to be still, to turn down the volume of his life and to listen for the hum of the creator. At one point, he's talking to his disciples who he grew to love. And these are guys that weren't world leaders when he met them. These weren't world changers. These were dudes who just were like you and me, man. They were just hayseeds sitting on a boat catching fish sometimes, you know. And, and, and when he met them, he fell in love with them. I don't think it was at first. But as he grew 
and their friendship grew, he began to see things in them that he said, there's a better way of doing life. And at one point he's sitting with a whole group of people and he says, you know what guys, no one, when, when he lights a lamp, he puts it under a bowl. No one, no one lights a, a big fire or a lamp and, and puts it under something. You, you light it to create this light around you wherever you go. And he begins to tell the story, and I think probably people are confused at times when Jesus talks. So he, he keeps talking, and he says, now the lamp, this lamp of the body, so now I'm, he says, now I'm talking about you and your life. The lamp of the body is the eye. The idea of the eye at this time, and the way Jesus would have talked about it, was like the eye is the thing that leads you where you're going. Because wherever your head turns, your eye goes, and your eyes say, I want to go towards that, and then your feet move there. So he's, he's basically saying at this point, the lamp of the body is your eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, he says this, therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. That is, when you get your eyes in the right direction, it takes you in the direction you want to go. He says, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, then the whole body will be full of light. As when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. So apply this to our moment this morning. Apply this this afternoon, whatever time of day, whatever, wherever you find yourself, apply it to what you're going through right now. Can I stop and put my eyes in the right place? Maybe you're like me and you look at your calendar and all you can see is Saturday, June 3rd. Or all you can see is that big presentation at work or that bill that's coming or whatever it is. And when your eye is focused on that and that's all you see, you begin, your whole body moves there. Your whole life moves there. All of your relationships go towards this darkness. All of your responses to your children, all of your conversations with the loved ones, they move towards this darkness. And so what Jesus is saying here is point your eyes in the right direction. If you can get your eyes in the right direction, it provides a light that you've been looking for. The psalmist says this, your word is a light to my path. Now, when I was a kid, I sang that song about the Bible. I don't believe that's what the psalmist was talking about in full here. In fact, the psalmist had very, very little Bible. <laughs> if you think about it, most of the Bible wasn't written when, and, and the psalmist was, David was actually writing the Bible as he was writing. So he wasn't just saying the Bible is a light into my path. I think this idea of the word of God is that the word of God is the base note. It's that lowest, Rob Bell would say it's the basest part of life. It's the lowest part of your life, that, that hum. That hum that gives you perspective. That hum that makes you think about your family before you. That hum that allows you to enjoy a Saturday afternoon instead of just worry about Monday. <sighs> David says, your word, that is that bottom part of who I am, that bottom part of the universe, the hum of the universe, is a light to the path that I want for my life. Friends, I believe that about myself. I believe that about you. That if you can find the hum of the universe, that thing that God is constantly putting out for our lives, that it will lead you to the path that you're looking for. Does that mean money? Nope. 
Does that mean the right job? Not necessarily. What it means is you could live like London, my daughter. You could live with the joy at the deepest part of your soul. The first thing about the hum in my life is that there's always something humming. The second thing is that if I'm not intentional about listening for that hum, I will drift into listening for something bad and something selfish. And the third thing is this, that God's hum leads to the thing I've been looking for. We're all looking for something. We're all digging. If, you, if you're listening to this podcast, that's really the only reason, unless you're my mom. It's really the only reason you're listening to this podcast is that you're digging. And you're thinking, maybe, maybe John has a shovel I haven't tried yet. Right? <laughs> Truth is, friends, I don't have a new shovel. But I know the one that has the shovel. And every now and then I'm figuring it out that I've been digging in the wrong place. I've been looking for what I want in life out of financial security. Somehow my 401k is going to provide it. But it never is quite enough in my 401k. You know what I mean? It's just never really what I want in the end. What I want is the hum. It's a life that is driven by the thing that is most important. I know you want it too. Today, today, would you dig with a different shovel? Today, today, would you choose to listen for the hum of the universe? Jesus was with a group of people one time. They called, them, they called themselves the Pharisees, um, and they were, they were rule followers. The hum in their life was the sense that there is always a rule to follow, and somehow that made them feel better, but it never made them whole. And Jesus was, was invited to eat with them. And one time, um, Luke says that Jesus went to the Pharisees' house to eat with them, and, and, and he walked in, and he was supposed to do this religious ceremony that Jewish people did, and, and a lot of Jewish people still do this, where you, you walk in, and before you eat, you wash your hands, and you do it in a really uh, a ritualistic or ceremonial way, um, and then you go to eat. And it's not about hand hygiene, although that might be a byproduct of it. It's not about hand hygiene. It's about... My dad did this. My grandpa did this. This is what we believe makes God happy with us. This is what we believe is the most important thing we can be doing. And so they literally would wash their hand and they would chant. Um, and they, they, the chant was something like this. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commands and commanded us concerning the washing of hands. And it's like this, this chant that they would almost do. And they would wash their hands and they would just say it. And it was just like brushing their teeth, basically something they needed to do. And, and literally the prayer was that kind of prayer like we pray sometimes when we sit down to eat. It's like, thank you, Jesus, for this food. Thank you for all the things you give us. Please help us to get energy for the rest of the day. Amen. And it's like this, this sort of a droning. Um, and Jesus walked in, and while everyone else at the party went by the water bowl and did their chant. And they, I mean, you have to do literally, you'd have to like wash your left hand this many times and then wash your right hand and then wash your left hand again. And, and there was this real, real legalistic way of looking at this thing. Jesus walked in, imagine Jesus just walks in, walks past the line to the bowl of water and just sits at the table. 
I I picture him like reaching for chips and salsa, you know, and going ahead and eating, and the whole room stops, just stops. They cannot believe that Jesus would walk through the room and not do the thing that everyone else is doing, not create this moment of of good with God, this the ceremonial thing. And so Jesus says to him, "You Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish." But inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside also make the inside? Man, the room stopped. Man, if you're religious, if you grew up in church like I did, your initial reaction to what do I want, your initial reaction to to changing the hum in the universe, to, to the thing that you're looking for is to to go do ceremonial things. It's to go do religious things. It's to go to church because that's what we do. It's to to sing those songs because those are the songs we sing and those are what bring us happiness, right? Those are That's the hum that we're looking for, right? Songs, that's the hum we're looking for, right? Pointing towards a preacher for 50 minutes on a Sunday morning? No. Jesus says, you know what? There's nothing wrong with washing your hands. But it's what comes out of your heart that makes you clean. It's where your eyes are focused that makes you part of the hum of the universe. I don't know if you're like me, but I often think I've got to do something. I've got to find something to do. I've got to read this. I've got to think this. I've got to listen to another podcast. I've got to go get up and go to church on Sunday morning. I've got to do this. And all of those things are great, but they're only great in response to listening to the hum of the creator. They're only great when they couple with, when they partner with a life that has turned down the volume on the rest of that stuff. Because you know as well as I do, if you've been around church very long, that church can just be one more thing that is drowning out the bass note. It can just be one more fan in the room. And it can lead you to places you never wanted to go. So, uh, Friends, it's time for the may use. <laughs> today, whatever day you listen to this, today, I made real emphasis on the ta there, you know? Ta-day. Don't wait till tomorrow. Find some place to be still. Find some place to be still and turn the noise in your life to the left. Turn it down. Change the resounding hum in your life today. May today be the day that you walk into that place and you feel like the frog jumping into the boiling pot of water and you say, this is not where I want to be. May today be the day that you hear the hum of the universe. And I don't mean like with the people from Kokomo. I mean, may today be the day that gives you perspective. May today you hear the hum from the creator. May you turn down your life so that you can hear the things that are most important. You can call it perspective if you want. You can call it the light to your path if you want. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But in the end, what it is, is it's getting your eyes on the right thing so that you can enjoy the human beings in your life. 
that you can put first things first in your life. May you find that place today. May you turn down the noise in your life and may you hear the hum from the Creator. There's a lot to do today. There's nothing more important than listening for the hum. Thank you, friends. God bless.